Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and welcome to another edition of Direct Snap. And if you're not familiar with Direct Snap, this is episode five, number one, and also. This is a show where we tackle or address controversial football topics that many want to either avoid or tap dance around completely. So you can always hit us up on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Vine under the tag Football Game Plan. And don't forget to check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash football game plan. And if you miss any one of our episodes, you can find them archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And this is episode five of Direct Snap. And on today's agenda, we're going to tackle my personal scouting and evaluation methodology. I get asked a lot, what do I look for at games? What do I look for when I watch prospects? So I'm going to dive into all of that in this episode. But first, we're going to start this episode five, this fifth episode of Direct Snap off by answering your questions via social media, starting with what we have on Twitter. And the first question comes from at Alex J. Kirby. Alex Kirby, a good friend of mine. Once you follow him on Twitter and also check out the products that he puts out uh, via his own website, does a great job with football books, teaching the game of football. He's a great football mind. He asked the question, how does Ryan Grixon, the GM of the Indianapolis Colts, have a job? That's a funny question because when you look at Ryan Grixon's uh, background, he played at Purdue. He was a productive player, played in the NFL for about two years, I want to say. Then he went up to Canada, and then he jumped right into scouting with the CFL, then worked his way to arena, then the NFL. He was on a couple of Super Bowl teams with the Rams and the Eagles, and now he has found his way into the head job for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, when you look at the roster and you look at some of the skill positions, let's say, he has Andrew Luck. He brought in a ton of talent around Andrew Luck. But what I find interesting is that as a former offensive lineman, he struggles to bring in good O-line talent. I mean, the Colts are talented across the board, except the offensive line. I don't think they have premier talent up front. You would think, at least I would. I mean, if I was running a team, if I was a GM for an NFL team, better believe my running backs would be stacked with talent. I mean, I would have six deep at running back. I wouldn't even carry a fullback. Even if I did carry a fullback, he would be able to run the football. So that's why it's mind-blowing when you look at Ryan Grixon and at Indianapolis Colts offensive line. And, I mean, when you look at the time he's been there and each and every season, it's been the same issue with the Colts. Yes, they put up a ton of yards. Yes, they are able to throw the football. Andrew Luck is able to break records. But how come they, they can't seem to find – continuity and talent along that offensive line that falls directly on the sh- uh, shoulders of Ryan Grixon now is that a rift between he and the coach um, Chuck Pagano that's a rumor floating around right there and your GM and head coach have to be on the same page because your jobs are essentially tied to one another you would want the guy that you brought in as a head coach to succeed so that's a great question I can't even answer that but I do know I do f- I find it shocking or troubling that a guy that was a former offensive lineman struggles to find offensive line talent for his football team. So thanks, Alex, for the question. And again, follow him on at Alex J. Kirby. Next question comes from my man, Eric Bartell, former college teammate of mine. Eric is another guy you should follow on Twitter at Eric Bartell. He asked the question, why do the Dolphins refuse to run the football? Hashtag Lamar Miller owner in fantasy football. You know, that's a that's another great question because you would think with a quarterback like Tannehill that's afraid of pressure, that's afraid to get hit, that wants no parts of the pass rush, they would try to neutralize that and take the ball out of his hands just a little bit more and put it in the belly of Lamar Miller, who has legit breakaway talent. He's an elite, I'm sorry, he's an elite athlete as far as what he can do with the football in his hands. I'm dumbfounded like you are, Eric. I mean, when you look at Lamar Miller and what he did last year, when they finally gave him carries, he was over 1,000 yards at over five yards a carry. Why wouldn't you want to give that guy more carries, more opportunities with the football in his hands, and it helps you take some of the pressure off Tannehill so when he does go back to pass, he won't see as much pressure because right now they know they don't want to run the football, so they're just pinning their ears back and getting after Tannehill. So I'm, again, dumbfounded. I can't even begin to understand why 
they're not giving Lamar Miller the, the football. And, again, as a former running back, you, you already know how I feel about this situation. Like, you're supposed to feed this guy, especially one that could take it the distance each and every play. Feed him the football, allow him to get into a groove, and you, you're going to slowly start to find out how – much better Tannehill can be if that running game is effective, if he's operating off play action. They run zone read, and they don't even give the football, so why even honor that zone read? You know, So I think they should give him more carries. It's going to help their offense out. It's going to help their defense out as a byproduct. They're going to be on the field less. They're going to be well-rested, well-adjusted. So the Dolphins, if you're listening to this podcast, please start to give Lamar Miller the football, not only just because it makes sense, but you got to help out my homeboy, Eric Bartell, and his fantasy football team as well. The next question comes from at rude underscore SU. So that's at rude underscore SU. He asks a question or he wonders about the Ohio State quarterbacks. If Cordell Jones cost himself millions of dollars and lost a year towards his next contract, would OSU have been better off if he had left? That's an interesting question because I think he probably should have left because he would have avoided what's going on right now, the over-analysis. And when you look at a quarterback, and I'll jump into this, you know, on this topic later on, what I look for, but when you look at a guy like Cardell Jones, who was thrust into action in the three most important games of the Ohio State season, and he excelled in every last one in route to these guys winning the championship. So you can't get any more pressured field pressure-packed type situation than those three games, the Big Ten championship game that they had to win to get into the playoffs, the first playoff game against Alabama that they had to win in order to get to the championship game, and then the title game against Oregon that they had to win in order to be national champions. So the pressure of the moment was there. The pressure of the situation was there. The defenses he faced, I mean, Wisconsin defense was pretty tough. We know about Alabama's defense and what they can do to to a quarterback and to an offense, and Oregon was fast and the question was, will they be able to keep pace? And he excelled in every game. He passed every test. So in my mind, especially with the way he passed the test, it wasn't like he just handed the football off in all three games. They needed him to win those games, and he played exceptionally well. So I would have left if I were him because, again, you're going to get drafted. You put out enough good tape. You put out three good games of tape because um, people always say, well, we only, we only look at three games of a prospect then why wouldn't your three games be the best three games and the most important three games of the season? So I would have left. Um, I don't think he cost himself money because he didn't have money to begin with. So you can't lose what you didn't already, what you don't have. So I don't think he lost money. I just think, you know, now he's giving people the opportunity to over critique him or to overanalyze his game, which is nonsense because the same people that's criti- uh, overly criticizing his game right now were the same people that are, you know, were saying last year, uh, he should leave right now. He has nothing that's nothing left to prove. So now everybody's trying to look right about over critiquing the guy. I mean, what he did last year versus Alabama, Oregon, Wisconsin doesn't change anything that he does against Hawaii, you know, northern Illinois, uh, southwest, northeast, Oklahoma, Ohio State doesn't matter. You know, the fact of the matter is he performed well in those three games. He played exceptionally well. He's a pro style player. Um and what he did show this year, I, th- I thought, you know, if anything, he showed you that he can run the football. Now, I wouldn't utilize him as a runner. Um, he's a lumberer. He's a powerful guy. And, yes, that's easier to do in college when you have 18-year-old linebackers and 18-year-old cornerbacks and safeties that you're running over. In the NFL, you won't have that. So I wouldn't utilize him as a runner. But he did show that element of his game. Now, yes, he does have some flaws. I, I will not say that he's without flaws. He does have flaws. But I think those flaws you live with and can work with because of what he already put on tape and the positive things that he do that he does and that he did. So I would say I don't think he lost money. OSU would probably be better off because Urban Meyer really wants uh, his guy to start because that's the guy he recruited, and that's JT Barrett. And JT Barrett is a runner, more of a runner than a passer. He's not the, the best pats, passer out the bunch. And quiet is kept. The best quarterback on the roster is now playing receiver. And it seems like decades ago that everybody was talking about the spin move by Braxton Miller. What happened to Braxton Miller over the last three weeks at receiver? Oh, that's right. He can't get open. Oh, ho, 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 ho. But he's the best quarterback on the roster, and it shows. But um, I think ideally Urban Meyer would have liked 
if Miller would have left, if Cordell Jones would have left, so that way he could have JT Barrett as the guy for a full season. That's what he ultimately wants, which is also why he's not playing JT Barrett. Now he has the luxury of time. He has the luxury of knowing that this guy's going to be here two more years. Let me get enough tape out, tape out there for uh, Cordell Jones, so that way he can get out there and make himself some money by playing well. And he's going to get better. He's going to play well. He's going to do fine. Um, but Urban Meyer would have rathered both of those guys leave, so that way he wouldn't have this question to answer. And when you look at it, I mean, it was almost like a godsend that Braxton Miller switched positions because that would have been another problem because you couldn't keep the two-time Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year off the field, especially a guy that was improving at quarterback. Now, him playing receiver, his arm may be done, but if it were me, I would have set out this entire year, got healthy because I would have wanted to play quarterback. But this is another topic for another show matter of fact we already addressed this topic before but to answer your question at rude underscore sue i don't think he cost himself millions because he didn't have millions to begin with so anything he gets past ohio state is going to be a bonus so thank you guys for the questions on twitter and we'll be back jumping right into the topic of the day my scouting evaluation my scouting and evaluation methodology after this commercial break For me, I think the biggest thing that football taught me was how to overcome adversity. At some point in your life, you're going to have some tough times. You have to have that next play mentality. That cohesiveness and that working together, that's really something special that you can't get in a lot of other areas. When you practice that and you live that in other phases of your life, it, it, it becomes second nature because all you know how to do is fight. It's not an easy game. If it were easy, everyone would do it. You start to appreciate the, the smaller contributions that people make. You don't just look at the big one because you knew it took six or seven other guys who are unsung. And, uh, you know, you, you can't take shortcuts and be successful. Doing what they do to make it possible for the guy getting the press clippings or whatever it might be in this game, whether it's as a coach or a player. So um, I would certainly say that, um, you know, you definitely got uh, a very quick lesson in how to overcome adversity playing football. And welcome back to Direct Snap. You can find that book, What Did Football Teach Me, in our other latest release, Football, A Love Story, on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books. Again, over 100 stories from current and former coaches and players, executives, entertainers, guys that have played football at all levels, high school, college, or pro um, guys like Mike Singletary, Howard Mudd, Brett Billima, Mike Bobo, Jen Walter. Um, you also have guys that are, are rappers now. Nesby Phipps, who produced for Currency, produced for Lil Wayne. He was a former high school running back and linebacker. Talks about his story. A lot of great stories in here, guys, in both books. Uh, it just, to me, like I said before, it's therapy for me because it reminds you each and every time you pick up a book and read someone's story. Um, why you do what you do. And it's just amazing to see that even though you have 100-plus different people, we're all sort of the same. So I would say check out both books, again, on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books. And also don't forget to check out our book from last year. Three books already released under Football Game Plan Publishing. The book from last uh, July was Stiff Arming Football Myths, where we took a look at 50 of football's greatest fairy tales, like playing at home matters, uh, like size matters, all that stuff we look at and broke it down and debunk those myths. You can find all three books, again, on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books. All right, jumping into the topic of the day, my scouting and evaluation methodology. A lot of times, again, like I said earlier in the podcast, people ask, hey, when you're out there at games or when you're watching prospects, what do you look for? What do you try to find? What, what, what's your, what are you seeing out there? Um, to try to help me become a better scout, help me be, try to break into this business or whatever the case may be. I get asked those questions a lot. So I figured, you know, why not use this platform, Direct Snap Episode 5? You see how I threw that, that slightly uh, obvious plug in there. But why not use this platform to discuss what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking when I go out to these games and, and things of that nature when I'm watching film? Just starting from a baseline uh, foundation. You can't, if you're going to be in scouting, if you're going to be in evaluation, if you're going to, whether it's breaking down games or breaking down prospects, uh, whatever the case may be, you have to have a no bias basis. And, and what I mean by that is that we all have biases. I know I had some when I first jumped into this thing uh, back in 2007. 
you know, you can't, and when I'm talking about biases, I'm talking about a lot of different things. You know, let's say, for instance, you may say, oh, I refuse to watch a player from Louisiana Tech because, you know, that was our biggest rivals. And I know those guys stink. I know they suck. I don't like the program. I don't like the coach, yada, yada. All those things you think, okay, that may cloud your judgment if you're supposed to be evaluating talent. That's a bias. You can't have that. You can't be a fan and also you know, evaluate someone properly. For instance, I'm a, I'm a Saints fan. I grew up a Saints fan. But you would never know that I'm a Saints fan because I don't give off that vibe of, okay, I'm being a fanboy or I'm being a fan so I can't critique the team. So every move they make is going to be the best move that they make. You know, and I'm not even on the flip side where every move they make, I disagree with it. I'm going to be overly critical of that football team. You know, a lot of people don't even know uh, unless they read the bio or or they read like the, you know, the graphics that are, that are in the videos that I played at Louisiana Lafayette. But I, I may throw it out there from time to time and talk about the Raging Cajuns or something like that. But even if I'm evaluating them uh, from, let's say, for a game preview, you never see me be biased toward them because I went there. I'm always upfront and honest, and that carries over into prospect evaluation. I may not agree with what you're doing as a person, but that's not my job. I'm not a. I'm not here to break you down um, psychologically. I'm here to see if you can play and see if you can uh, do what it takes to get to the next level, whether it be NFL, Arena, Canadian, whatever. Um, so I would say right off the bat, the first thing, you can't have biases. And another bias would be like, okay, this guy plays at Alabama. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. This guy plays at Alabama Southwest. I'm going to give him no doubt because he's at a small school, so he obviously can't play. So everything, when you when you have a bias uh, basis, when you, when you start from a biased um, point of view or perspective, everything that you're watching will be clouded with that bias. So if you already think a guy at a lower school can't play, everything that he's doing, you're going to already think, well, it's because he's playing at a lower school, so it doesn't matter. Um, so you can't have a bias base. So I have no bias in anything I do. Um, and those that know me know that because I, I I can go watch anything and just I'm just here speaking my mind. I'm just here saying what I see. And that allows me to be fair, honest, and respected you know, by people that get the chance of, to view my reports or see a video breakdown or something like that is because I don't get personal. I don't get, you know, crazy because there's no biases involved. It's just straight what I see on tape. I'm just repeating exactly what I see on tape or what I saw at a game. So you can't start from a biased perspective or have a biased foundation because everything that you're going to write, everything that you're going to say is going to, you know, be clouded in that, in that same bias and, and just in a, judgment so that would be first and foremost i would say if you're going to start this thing eliminate all bias you know I, I would say what got me over i remember i couldn't watch a saints game this was prior to 2007 starting football game plan i couldn't watch a saints game uh without getting upset you know just like man these guys should be should be doing this should be doing that and not realizing that hey maybe they don't have the personnel to do so and even though i felt as though i knew the game um and I, i'm still learning every day about the game. That's why I like going to games too. I'm learning more about defense, learning more about offense, and you should always want to learn. You know, so the one thing I I, I said, man, I got to take myself out of this equation and stop thinking with emotion, and then I'll be able to, you know, better evaluate or what have you. So when we started football game plan, it was so funny. We started in 07, and we were just doing our – it was basically all writing. Um, cause we didn't start video to 2009, but I felt as though, okay, now that we're covering all the different leagues and all the teams, I have to watch everyone. So I can't necessarily be a fan of anyone, you know, because I'm, I'm watching everyone and everyone has good players, but thinking from a fan's perspective, no one had better players than the saints. That's, that was my thought process when we, before we started this, when we started it, I got out of that mindset and I was able to see things from a 10,000 foot level and it helped me out a lot. So that's my initial thing going in. I have no biases toward teams, toward offenses, defenses, schools, universities, nothing. There's no bias. And if you don't have any biases when you're starting, you're going to be just fine. And, you know, another thing that people look at or people ask is, is okay, what's the difference between a prospect and a player? And I think this is something that a lot of people get confused. So, 
my my whole thing is there's a lot of good football players in this world. Good football players, guys that can play football, you know, that's competent, that can play football. You know, are there a lot of pro players? Now, see, that's the difference. That's when you get into, okay, this guy may be a prospect. Let's say myself, for instance, I would say I was a fairly good football player. Was I a pro player? No. Was I a prospect? No. You know, so everyone you watch on Saturday is not a prospect. Everyone you watch on Saturday is a player, and then you have to then whittle that down to find out, okay, who are the prospects? And this ties into maybe a maybe it's a little bit of my personal um, philosophy on that. When you see someone, let's say for I'm, I'm gonna just use again, I gotta just use myself as an example. When you see someone on the on uh, that that stands out in certain areas that excels in certain areas. You say to yourself, like, geez, this guy is pretty good. You know, like, I remember when we uh, we were at practice, and just in that running back room, you had myself, you had Elvis Joseph, you had Ike Taylor, you had a guy, Tri Keith Miller, you had Wayne Stein, you know, all these guys were my teammates of mine, right? And so – and me, me and Wayne, were, we were freshmen. Troy Keith was a, I want to say maybe a redshirt sophomore. Uh, Ike was a, a freshman. Um, Elvis Joseph was a junior. And I knew about Elvis when when I decided to go to UL. Um, I was like, man, this guy's pretty good. He played receiver and played running back. He was 6'1", 220. And so, but when you think, you know, when you think you're good, you're like, oh, I'm going to go there and start. I don't care. I'm nice. But when you get there and you see like, dude, this guy's cuts are unbelievable. He's going through the rope drills, you know, without even touching the ropes. And I'm falling all over my fat ass on over the ropes and shit like that. But, you know, but when you look at when you saw Elvis and you're like, man, this guy's, you know, he's really good. I thought I was good. This dude is really good. He had he was a prospect, you know, and later on that season, as you see Ike Taylor, you like, yo. Ike is just at another speed. It was just he just operating at another speed. It's ridiculous. Like I can't even think to be that fast. That's a prospect. You know, I was a player. So not everybody you watch on, even if you're in a game, even if you're a starter, you know, you may be the start running back for, and I'm just gonna pull a school out the hat. You may be you may be the start running back for Youngstown State. You know, you may even be a thousand yard rusher, but you still may not be a prospect because when I'm talking about prospect and player, I'm talking about a guy that's doing something extraordinary, someone that's on a on an elite level, you know, that brings that elite level each and every down. So for someone, let's say like Ike or Elvis Joseph, you saw that speed, you saw that elusiveness, you saw that talent down in, down out. For a basic player like myself, you may see it in spurts. So you may have a thousand-yard rusher that may just be a good football player that may not be a prospect, and you see that a lot. But some people confuse that and think that everyone and think you know that everyone that's playing ball is a prospect, and that's not the case. Which is why you see a lot of guys tend to uh, try to promote other guys, you know, thinking that everyone that sends them a, a highlight tape is a is a pro prospect. When when I look at a pro player. I want the pro player to be something or someone that I can't do myself. So when I looked at Ike or when I looked at Elvis Joseph, I'm thinking like, man, you know, I can't be that fast. I can't be that elusive. I can't be that nimble on my feet. You know, to me, that's a pro player because otherwise, what's the difference between a pro player and the average player? If that's the case, everyone should be in the NFL or the CFL or whatever, you know? So when you look at a pro player, a guy that has pro potential, he's doing something extraordinary on a consistent basis. Everyone else is just a good football player. And there's nothing wrong with being a good football player because the majority of people in this world are not good football players. So if you're at that level, whether it be high school, college, you know, you're, um, and you're competent, you are a good football player. You're better than the average. Now to be a pro player you have to be better than most, you know, and that's the that's the difference. So not everyone that that has a highlight tape is a player, 
I mean, is a prospect. They're a player. Yeah, I hope that explains the difference between prospect and player. You know, and then once you determine whether or not a guy's a prospect or player, let's say you just focus on the prospects now after you already scrubbed the bottom and, and you know, polished up the, that list to where it's you have all prospects, whether it's, you know, 50 or 500, quote-unquote, prospects. And that's, it's possible to have 1,000 prospects, you know, out of 3,500 players. So after you get that prospect list, now you determine whether or not, okay, at what level are they? Are they an indoor player or are they an outdoor player like NFL, CFL? Or are they an indoor player, um, whether it be arena or, let's say, an indoor league? You know, because there's a difference. You know, an outdoor player is a guy that can play on, the you know, obviously that the NFL level or the CFL level, which is a high level. A lot of people think that the CFL is a knockdown from the NFL. It's not. It's a different game. You have to be great to play in the CFL. You have to be a pro. You have to be a prospect. You know, the indoor game, I would say those are guys that are on that borderline that may have pro- – that, that are teetering between prospect and player. But there's more of a prospect side of them than there is a player side of it. And I think, you know, that's a part where someone can smooth out their game and become a prospect. So that's why I would say whether or not they fall in the indoor category or an outdoor category. Because you may see some guys right now playing indoor game um, that you've seen over the last two or three years. That's okay. This guy can definitely play as a professional on a bigger level, on an outdoor level. And that's when you see guys move up. You may see some guys that you thought coming out of college was an outdoor guy that's now flourishing in the indoor or vice versa. He's coming in the indoor game and he's not that good at all. So you have to be careful. And it just ties into my whole thought that not everyone is a prospect. You got to be able to separate player versus prospect. And I know that maybe not, I may not be going into too much detail, but once you see a prospect, you know, once you see a player, you know, and so your eyes never lie. And they, they tell you, in, you know, the entire story that you are looking for. Um, so that would, that would be like the second thing to try to find out whether or not a guy's a prospect or a player. And then once you do that, find out if he's an indoor guy or an outdoor guy. And I think that's pushing you in the right direction. And what's interesting is that, you know, a lot of people try to classify me or, or put me in a box and say, oh, you're excelling at the you're a, you're an excellent small school scout. Or you're great at small school prospects. And, you know, they try to pigeonhole you, try to, you know, label you. Oh, he only can scout small school prospects. He can't do the big guys. Ha 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 ha. Let me look at the fifth string linebacker from Alabama. He looks at the game breaker from Alabama State. Ha, ha, ha. People are nuts, man. But small school scouting, right? There's an art to it. And and the reason why I like small school scouting, because, again, I'm always about learning. I'm always about growing. I'm always about getting better at what I do. And I look at the small school ranks as a great opportunity to learn. Why? Because, number one, you're going to see the coaching be a lot better. And not saying that major level level guys can't coach. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that the lower level guys, they spend more time with these guys as far as um, technique is concerned. It's more about the fundamentals and less about satisfying boosters. So when you're at a small school game, you you will essentially see football in its purest form, which is great because now I get to sit back and just focus on the player and you really have to focus on these guys because again if you're at a small school you're not dealing with quote-unquote elite uh talent even though there's some talented guys at a lower level the majority are at the higher level so to speak so you really have to focus and find out okay is this guy a prospect or this guy a player and nothing puts you in that situation more than at a small school game you know or small school film because, again, you're focused on whether or not you're just watching football or something stands out. And when someone stands out, and, again, prime example, Carlos Fields, the linebacker from uh, Winston-Salem State, I graded him out as a, as a first-round prospect, you know, because he, is that, he jumped out on tape, had the 
you know, the, the speed, the acceleration, the hitting ability, the want to uh, in the run defense department, the athleticism in the pass defense department. Right now he's playing in the FXFL and bounce around a couple of teams. But if I had a team, he would definitely be on my team because he is one of those, like I said in the video, he's a throwback. You know, you don't see linebackers like that no more that anymore that want to hit, you know, that, that look to hit. You know, I compared his game to Jonathan Vilma. But you can see why uh, someone would say, well, if you gave him a first-round grade and he's not on the NFL team, he must not be good. That's not the case. You know, because you have guys like Darius Haywood Bay that was drafted in the first round, although he couldn't catch, and he's still getting getting NFL checks. You had a guy like Stephen Hill who couldn't catch, was drafted in the second round, and, you know, now is – I don't know if he's on the team or if he's on the practice squad. So – a lot of it is based off your opportunity. But if you watch that tape of Carlos Fields, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better linebacker. And you look at James O'Shaughnessy. I mean, I was lucky to go to the – to be at the FCS championship game last year where he just went off in the game against North Dakota State. It made me go back to the film because all I knew about going into that game was um, Trey Robertson, the, the quarterback, and Marshawn Cobridge, the running back. And I knew about their uh, their safety, too, who should be in the league. He's he's a tremendous player. His name slips me right now, but he was awesome. Um, and, I, and now I'm going to be upset because I can't think of it. But it, it, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a really good, good safety. He was also participating in the the um, Super Regional Combine down in Arizona. I was out there as well. He, he performed well, along with Trey Walker, who ended up getting drafted by the Baltimore Ravens out of Texas Southern. So, But the point is, I had to go back to the tape. And when I went back to the tape, I was like, wow, O'Shaughnessy is a real good talent. He's a second-round type player. And lo and behold, he gets drafted in the fifth round and is doing great things right now for Kansas City. So, we, But when you're at a small school game, you're focused. You're, you're so focused on finding that guy that can play. And that's why I like going because I like sharpening my blade. I like focusing on my, 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 uh, my craft. I like really trying to get better. And not saying I can't do that watching Florida State and Boston College, but if I'm at, you know, Yale at Lehigh, I'm hyper-focused because I know it's not few that are here, but if I could find that one or that, that, that those two guys, then that made my day because, you know what, I really worked hard for these two prospects, and I think these guys definitely have outdoor prospect-type talent. So – and when I'm looking, when I'm out there, or even if I'm either if I'm at a game or if I'm watching it on film, what I'm looking for is I, I want guys that that stand out. You know, you have to stand out from because if you're the best of the best, if you're a pro level level player, and you're performing at your elite level throughout the course of a game, it will show throughout the course of a game if you're playing with not as many elite talents. You see what I'm saying? So. If you're Danny Woodhead and you have elite athleticism, elite footwork, elite vision, you have speed, you're going to rush for 2,500 yards a season. You know, it'll show. But if you're just doing basically what your job requirement is of a starting running back or a starting quarterback or a linebacker at a Division I AA or, I'm sorry, FCS or Division II school or Division III school, then you're you're a player. You're not a prospect. But if you're doing something that's extraordinary, then yes, you you raise some eyebrows. You know, and, and that's the that's the thing. You have to stand out. Like I should be able to find a prospect on tape or or live at a small school game. If you don't jump out instantly, then nine times out of ten you're just a player. And you can get players with a little bit better athleticism, a little bit better speed, a little bit better size, even though size doesn't matter. For some coaches, they were rather a bigger guy in there as opposed to a smaller guy. They can find that at a bigger school. But prospects are what they want from these smaller schools. So what I'm looking to see is someone stand out. You better be the best player on the field. That's bar none. And when I'm watching film, you better jump out at me consistently. Not just one game, not just one play, every play. You better be the one that people are game planning for. You better look like 
how a five-star prospect is supposed to look coming out of high school. I remember, you know, when I was in high school, and nowadays, is all, don't even get me started on the high school recruiting process and all that stuff like that nowadays. I mean, when I was in high school, the only two guys you saw on all these Prep Star magazines, uh, what was the other one? Uh, it was Prep Star. You had Lemmings, I think, was out at the time, and a bunch of regional, uh, you know, magazines. That's when regional networks, regional magazines were, were, were in vogue. You know, that's that's when it was a thing to do, you know. But Super Prep, that was the other one. So, yeah, Prep Star, Super Prep, and Julius Peppers. So all you saw was Julius Peppers. You saw Julius Peppers on these magazines. You saw LeVar Arrington on these magazines. And you saw Ronald Curry. And that's the three dudes you constantly heard about. You're just like, yo, these dudes better be good because this is, I mean, five-star? Like, wow. And you used to thumb through a magazine to see if the, you saw your name. Just to see if it was on honorable mention or best of the rest or something like that. And I was in best of the rest on one of them. So, you know, just just throwing it out there. But when you used to thumb through those magazines and you constantly saw the number one player in, in the country, you was like, man, this guy must really be good because there's over 40 million high schools in the country and he's the number one player in the country. Wow. And they proved it once they got out there on, on a collegiate uh, arena and collegiate field. So that's how you're supposed to stand out if you're a small school player on film. Now, when, when a lot of people also ask, when you break down film, what are, what am I doing when I'm breaking down film? I want to watch film with you. I want to, you know, pick your brain. I'm probably I don't talk during film. I don't talk during live games. If you've sat next to me at a live game, at a practice, you know I don't I don't say jack. I'm just sitting there just observing. So when I'm watching film, you know a lot of people think you need uh, all 22. Now I'm lucky to have access to all 22 college film. But I tell you this, you know, when you you see some people look at TV copy, which is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, you, you can see what you want to see on, on, you know, TV copy. I mean, if you know if you know what you're looking for, you can even tell whether or not a guy like a corner or a safety or a receiver can play. I mean, you don't you don't need much, you know, if you know what you're looking for, it stands out to you. And you know what to look for if you look if you if you only have those copies available, but sometimes you even look at a highlight tape, and this is the part. Some people think that oh, this is a highlight tape. There's no way in hell you can see anything on a highlight tape. It's a highlight tape. It, I mean, he's so he's showing you his highlights. Just because you have highlights, don't mean that they're good highlights. You know, that's a different. I mean, I mean, hell, if we're being honest, that's all college coaches look at when they scouting high school players. Highlight tapes. You know, they may go to a game or two or something like that, but for the most part, guys send them their, their you know, uh, huddle link nowadays. At first, I mean, YouTube links, you know, and when back in my day, you sent, I hate to say back in my day, by the way, but back in my day, you sent out those VHS tapes, which was just your highlight tapes. And then they'll respond whether or not they're interested or not. And then they'll send you a blank tape and ask you for three games to put on that blank tape. It's a whole process back then, man. I'm surprised that, you know, guys were even getting recruited back then, how long things took. Um, but, yeah, so, they, you know, they, they, sent, they sent you a blank tape for, the, for you to put your three games on there and send it back to them, you know, because they were interested in your highlight tape that you sent. So you can see enough on highlights to, to where your, equal, your uh, interest is, is peaked. You know, so, so if you're watching someone's highlight tape, and is not wowing you, I mean, then that tells you all you need to know. Your highlight tape is supposed to wow you. you. I'm not supposed to see, let's say if you're a running back and your highlight tape is nothing but four-yard runs. I mean, what are, you, what are you showing me? You know, let's say your highlight tape is all 60-yard runs and it's coming off option pitches. I mean, you're untouched. You're not showing vision. I mean, what are you showing me? So you can see some things in the highlight tape. If you're if you're a linebacker, you're making tackles down the field. Let's say ten yard, ten yards down the field. I mean, wh what are you showing me? So you can't get enough from a highlight tape to, to whether or not you decide. Okay, do I want to go and further evaluate this guy, or did I pretty much see what I want to see from this 
five minute highlight tape. Um, now, when you're looking at all 22, now you now you get to see like how guys communicate. You get to see how guys adjust. You get to see the broader view, hence the term all 22. So for quarterbacks, you get to see where you get to see the route combinations. You get to see where he could have gone with the football. Now, again, you don't know if this was just a front a front side read or what he what he's being instructed to do, but you're you're getting a good scope on his field vision. For a corner, you're getting a good scope on how he's playing in conjunction with the sideline or how he's passing guys off in, in zone coverage, how he's following guys in man, what type of man technique is he, is he playing. And from the end zone cam, you're looking at the offensive line, you're looking at technique. You know, that's great for all 22. So it's very important for the running backs. You get the chance to see vision um, from a uh, – I won't say field level view, from a little bit up. So you're right behind him. You get to kind of see what he sees. So there's tremendous benefit to all 22. But don't dis, you know, don't disregard highlight tapes. Don't disregard TV copy because if it doesn't fly on film in any one of those uh, other avenues, then you don't even have to waste your time going to all 22. You know, so there, there's a sometimes when you're, you know, like when I'm uh, pressed for time. You know, someone to send like, hey, check out my film, and I and I sometimes I may not get to it. I'm like, damn, I feel bad. So they'll text me a, or email me a huddle link, and which is their highlights. I mean, like three minutes. I could watch that as I'm walking to the doggone bathroom, you know. And so I'm peeping it out. And I'm like, okay, I see some things that are, that may or may not warrant me going back to the to the full games, you know. So there, you know, it it does help you weed out a lot, but you know, it does serve a purpose. So don't let anyone tell you that highlight tapes don't matter. Don't let anyone tell you that TV copy doesn't matter, but do know that all 22 is the full benefit of, of everything, but you can get a lot out of highlight tapes, a lot out of uh TV copy as well. But you know, that's the difference between those two and what you see and what you should be looking for and the importance of each. Now, when you're at a game again, like I said before, when, when you see me at a game, Guys, I tell you, I don't take notes. I may hold the notebook, but there's nothing in my notebook. Let's say when we were at the Senior Bowl or Shrine game. I mean, I had a pen. I had a notepad. I didn't take no notes. Um, because you know how to – You if you go to a lot of practices or, or, you know, you've been around a lot, you played, you know, you played football, you know how practice is. You know how practice goes. So you kind of know what stands out, what to ignore, what not to ignore, what's important, what's – so – when you weeding out those things that's important, you can remember a lot of what you saw. So for me, the most important thing probably, especially at an all-star game, is just memorizing numbers and just writing numbers down. Because if you write the number down, you then know what you wrote that number down for. Uh, you see a lot of guys, and maybe some people are different. You know, some people write a shitload of notes. You know, that's just not me. You know, I'd rather write something down that's important um, to me. You know, and it's all individual basis, all how you how you process and how you learn or how you remember. And I'm still young enough, knock on wood, that I can, you know, remember a good bit. But again, it has to be something that stood out at, at a practice, you know, and I think that's the difference. Also, I like to get to the game like two hours early, you know, so I could set up and not feel rushed. So I'm at a game. I'm, I'm sitting I'm setting up. I get my, my notes. How you guys see it when I get the little notes out, um, the little uh play card with the, the depth chart I go through highlight you know who's the guy I'm looking for and I may put a, a asterisk or a star next to some other guys that that may have piqued my interest going because in, I always watch a game or two of the teams that I'm going to see so I'm not blind going in so I'm already you know a step ahead as far as like okay who should I come in here knowing I need to, I need to see so that's all about the pregame prep you know, you got to go in there knowing what you're going to look at. Otherwise, you go in there blind and you're going to be scrambling. You know, and during the game, I am I may take down notes. I, I give a guy two drives before I start writing down notes. You know, because you, you one once the game starts, you know, you could toss the first drive out the window because guys are really just nervous. You got the, you know, the butterflies, all kind of craziness going on. So I give a guy like two two drives, maybe two and a half drives before I start writing down notes of what I've seen because now you start to see 
a guy's tendencies start to set in and settle in. Um, and that's when you start to see the whether or not this guy's a prospect or a player. And that's when you start to take your notes. Um, you know, halftime, I go I go through through the notes. I look over and say, well, um, okay, this guy's, I mean, he, he he's doing something, but he's not really showing me anything. So do I move on to him? Do I move this other guy who I had earmarked early on? Do I push him up the list? the list and start taking um, notes on him. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but pregame I'll have like maybe like eight to 10 guys highlighted, but postgame notes may only have three to four guys written down. So that, that explains why, you know, because some guys fall off. Some guys haven't done much to warrant evaluation. Now maybe I may catch something on film. I always do a cross check, you know, with myself, but that's when I'm at, at the game and what I'm doing halftime. Again, I, I regroup, you know, reorder, you know, the the list post game. I'm recapping, you know, the, the game. You guys see me out there on the field recapping. I just started that this year, but prior to this year with the video recaps, I'll sit there and I'll write down the notes on, okay, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, check all the boxes I was looking for. And I'll have a couple of guys, whether it be juniors, sophomores, or freshmen, or some seniors that I didn't have earmarked that stood out. I have those guys circled. So when I go back home, I'll pop in the game of, you know, I usually get the games like on Tuesday. So I'll pop in those games, you know, that Tuesday to rewatch and see, okay, why did I circle this guy and why did he stood out? Why he stood out to me? Why why was he noted to to um, go back and look at? And that's how you, you know, cross-check yourself. You may even see something different than what you saw while you were live at the game. So it's constant going back and forth. And, Hopefully, I hope you guys understand that, yes, I watch a lot of film, man, a, a lot, and I watch a lot of football. So if I'm saying something, is is based off, you know, what I'm seeing and based off what I have saw, which is a lot. So don't think I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out takes or anything like that. I'm just throwing out basically what I saw live, what I saw on film multiple times, um, because you, you have to. Otherwise, you miss things. Um, so if I'm giving you a report on a guy or if I'm giving you my thoughts on a guy, better believe I've saw I've seen this guy multiple times, whether it be a combination of live or on tape or just strictly on tape. But know it's coming from a, a position of thoroughness. You know, I, I'm not going to give you something just off the off the cuff. You know, that's unfair to me and unfair to you. Um, and people, you know, people also talk about box scores, you know, which is an interesting case because box scores, I think, are like highlight tapes. Because if I see someone that's averaging, let's say a running back, someone that's averaging 200 yards a game, you know what? That's an eye catcher because I know how hard it is to gain yards. So I need to see this guy. And so I remember, and this is funny because this before we even thought about doing this. This was in college. Um, I want to say it was my senior year. And, you know, around draft time, we all argued. I remember in college, man, we had this big epic argument in the cafeteria on who was the better running back, T.J. Duckett or William Green. Man, we were in that bad boy for about a good three hours. We went for breakfast and left when they were getting ready to start uh, wrapping up lunch, arguing T.J. Duckett or William Green. And you could have sworn we were we – were, we were two separate teams in a war room as if we had picks in that draft. That's how, that's how intense that argument and debate was in there. Like it was ridiculous. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't lost my point. Oh, um, the box scores. So that, that's, that's what initially, you know, peaks your interest, like a highlight tape. So um, for instance, and so back then, well, that's the point I was getting to back then, uh, we picked up the newspaper and we had the it had the NCAA leaders in categories. Um, and we saw this guy that had 14 interceptions his senior year. And we were like, wait a minute. I don't give a damn if he's playing at, you know, Caribbean State. 14 intercepts in one season is hard to do. It's hard to do that at practice when they, you know, let you catch the ball. <laughs> and the player was, you know, I was like, man, I don't need to see this guy's tape. I don't care what his tape looked like. He got 14 intercepts. I want him on my team. 
And, you know, we were all laughing, joking, but, you know, we were kind of serious, like, yo, I don't care who this guy is. I haven't even heard of him, haven't seen him. All I know is I want him on the team. The player was uh, Rasheen Mathis. And it was just funny because we saw that. It was like, wait, he had 14 one year and, like, 12 the year before. Like, man, I want this guy on my team. He's always around the ball. So box scores can draw attention to a player. Then you decide from there whether he's a pro- whether he's a prospect or a player. So because it never tells the whole story. Because you can all fourteen of those interceptions could have been off tip passes, you know. So it never tells the whole story, but it does bring your attention toward his game, which is why it's important to uh, stand out. So hopefully, long story short, I know I didn't dive into a lot of detail because I probably will, and I know I will. I will break down what I'm looking for by position in subsequent uh, podcasts, so stay tuned for that. Um, but, you know, again, no bias basis helps you out a lot. That helps me out a lot. I'm trying to decide whether or not a guy's a prospect or a player, why I think small school scouting helps you out as a whole because, it you know, it helps you out focus. It helps you focus on a prospect, on a player. You know, highlight tapes are important uh, just as much as all 22 you know, what you're doing at a game, what I'm looking for live and when I'm at a game scouting and, and how box scores can serve as, you know, non-video highlight tapes to draw your attention to a guy's game. So, again, it's all about standing out. And for me, my own uh, that's, in a nutshell, my own scouting evaluation methodology and what I do uh, as far as, like, when I sit down and try to break down a game um, to know X's and O's. And I know a lot of people probably say, Man, you you hit when when I let's say for instance when I tweet out, oh, be on the lookout for the seam throw right here down the middle. Be on the lookout for the tight end open in the in the back end zone. You know things like that. That's because I've watched that team multiple times. I've seen that formation. I've seen tendencies. So again, when I say I watch a lot of film, guys, I'm not bullshitting. I watch a lot of film. So that that shows you the preparation that I put into what it, what I try to get accomplished with football game plan. So hopefully you guys appreciate that. So that's what. That wraps up that segment, you know, of my personal scouting and evaluation methodology. Uh, And we'll wrap this show up when I come back after this quick break, because I got to break down what happened yesterday. Obviously, it's something that's always bothering me when we watch football as a group, as a community, as a community. Something always, you know, frustrates me. So um, I'll talk about that after we get back from this commercial break. I love football. I I cannot get enough of football. I I watch it on every level. The emotional release, you know, whether it's an exciting play that gets you all jacked up and juiced or whether it's the fact that you're able to pour everything you have, whatever frustration you had that week, you can put into that first kickoff coverage, that first block that you have, whatever it might be. And, and I couldn't think of anything better to do uh, to fill that void that, that you have as a football player than, than to get into coaching. You get a chance to release a lot of emotion that you otherwise have no place to release. There's nothing else like that. Again, the relationships you build and, you're, and the, thing, the people you're around and, and watching the guys compete, um, not just on the football field, but in life after they get done playing. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's an amazing game. And again, you can find that book, Football, A Love Story, on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books. Pick up your copies today, guys. Two great, awesome reads put together by our Football Game Plan staff. You will love it. And you'll also get to read my football story in both books. Wrapping up this show, I want to take a look at what bothered me yesterday. And it was funny to watch these two games side by side because you had the Miami Dolphins playing um I want to say, who did they play yesterday? Oh, they played the Buffalo Bills. And you had the San Francisco 49ers playing the Arizona Cardinals. Both teams were getting their face kicked in. Um, But it was funny to watch. Both quarterbacks were having bad days. Kaepernick probably had statistically the worst day because two of his passes went back for touchdowns uh, out of the four interceptions he threw. Tannehill was also having a bad day and because, again, some of his own reasoning. And I mentioned this earlier on Twitter. Since 2012, they've changed running backs, receivers, tight ends, offensive line, yet they're still saying Tannehill needs help and that offensive line is terrible. At some point, you got to look at the common denominator. And what's what's frustrating is that, and, and quietly, and this is probably the biggest quietly, if you was to take Kaepernick and put him on the Dolphins and take Tannehill and put him on the 49ers, 
with 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 both uh, offenses are trying to do, and what they're asking their quarterbacks to do and be, they probably would excel if they switch spots. Kaepernick would fit perfect with the Dolphins and what they're wanting what they're wanting to do offensively, and Tannehill would fit perfect with what San Francisco wants to do offensively. It's amazing how that works. They could swap quarterbacks and get exactly what they're looking for. But the problem I have is that, you know, naturally everyone was like, oh, Kaepernick, he's terrible. Oh, ha, ha, ha. And you know how I am, you know, when 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 I look at, let's say, a black quarterback that I feel as though is getting uh, slighted, I, I tend to go into defense mode and go to look at it from, okay, let me go see if this is what's happening. And instantly everyone was like, oh, my God, I'm a Kaepernick. He sucked for two years. For two years. Okay, let's look back. Not this year. Let's look back at last year and the year before. You know what? Let's go back to his three years as a starter. His first season as a starter, he was 5-2 and two as, a, as a quarterback. Helped get that team to the Super Bowl, I believe. Um, Ten touchdowns, three interceptions, 8.6 yards in attempt. Passer rating of 98.3. 98.3. Four hundred yards rushing. Got to the Super Bowl. Came down to a, a a bad play call actually on that fade. And they were what a pass away from winning the Super Bowl. His first seven games as a starter. The following year, 2013, they go 12 and four, 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 7.8 yards in attempt, 91.6 quarterback rating, and. 500 yards rushing with four touchdowns. And they came within one pass from going to a consecutive Super Bowl. The tip pass in the end zone by Richard Sherman that was intercepted by Malcolm Smith, the linebacker. We all remember that play. That was two years ago. Last year, the 49ers went 8-8. Eight and eight, And we know last year with their weapons on the outside, they weren't that big of a threat anymore. 19 touchdowns. 10 interceptions. Yards per attempt went down to 6.9, but his rating was pretty solid. 86.4. Sacks went up because the offensive line wasn't as good. Yardage rushed. 639 yards with a long of 90 yard yards uh, on the ground. You know, a long run of 90 yards. So at what point did he suck? That's the part that I'm trying to realize. Like, what point did he suck? So far, they've never had a losing season with him as the quarterback. So at what part did he suck? What makes someone say that? But Tannehill needs help. He needs weapons. And if you want to talk about the model of consistency, I mean, you look at you look at Tannehill. Matter of fact, let's put up his numbers. Since we're sitting here, since I got to get you guys out of here, since we, you know, we're running low on time. But when you look at Tannehill's numbers. He's been the model of consistency. With him as the starting quarterback, as a rookie, they went 7-9. 2013, 8-8. Last year, 8-8. Eight eight. This year, a lot of high hopes. And his touchdown-to-interception ratio, 12 touchdowns, 13 intercepts as a rookie. 24 touchdowns, 17 interceptions as a second-year player. Third-year player, he had his best year, which was last year, 66% completion percentage, 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, 12 intercepts. But the yards per attempt, 6.1, 6.2, 6.9, and this year so far, 6.7. So that tells you he's dumping the ball off. His quarterback rating, 76.1 as a rookie, 81.7 the following year, 92. Again, his best year was last season, statistically, 92.8, you know, which is great. And so far this year, 85.5, five touchdowns, three intercepts, all of which came last game. You know, so, but here's the thing. Here's the biggest problem I have. Guys, quarterbacks have bad games. These two guys had bad games. But I find it interesting that one guy, all of a sudden, the 49ers got to blow up everything that they got going on. Not for nothing, but when you look at Tannehill's weapons, his receivers and his running backs, and you look at the 49ers receivers and running backs, I would give the running back edge to San Francisco only if they can get a healthy Reggie Bush and only if Kendall Hunter, who I like a lot, can stay healthy over Miami because I think Miami only has Lamar Miller. 
but the receivers. You mean to tell me you would rather have Anquan Bolden and Torrey Smith over Jarvis Landry, Greg Jennings, Jordan Cameron? Um, who else the Dolphins have on their roster? You know, they have more. They have more options. Put it that way. Oh, Devontae Parker, and yes, San Francisco has uh, Vernon Davis. But you mean to tell me you would rather take <laughs> Matt Hazel is another guy? You you rather take Kaepernick's receiving options as opposed to Tannehill's receiving options? Are you nuts? But again, Tannehill just need they need to find some. They people want to fire the coach. But for Kaepernick, it's about he's terrible. I wouldn't pay him money. This is a guy that hasn't been part of a losing team since he's been named the starter. But, oh, I forgot. Hold up. I forgot. I forgot. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. It's because they're running game in defense, though, right? He only good because they're running game in defense, right? Oh, you mad because I'm styling on you, right? Man, get out of here with that BS, man. Like, you know as well as I know, Kaepernick is a good player, a guy that can help them win. We have seen this before. Him take help take the 49ers to the Super Bowl. He played well. They got to the Super Bowl. Nearly got back to the Super Bowl again. I still question the play. Matter of fact, I question the play call in the Super Bowl game and in the NFC Championship game. Because it came down to a tip pass. Super Bowl. If Tannehill ever got to the Super Bowl, they would retire his jersey while he's still playing. So, but again, that goes back to scouting evaluation um, methodology. No bias from your uh, platform. You can't have biases, and a lot of people have biases when they look at these prospects, and you see it each and every Sunday, each and every Saturday. Certain players, it's not. Uh, you know what? Let's just call it what it is. White quarterbacks and black quarterbacks. That's the only position where people look at the game differently. If it's any other position, race does not matter. Call it what it is. Race don't matter if, it's you, if you're talking about a white running back and a black running back. Doesn't matter if you're talking about a white receiver or a black receiver. White offensive lineman, black offensive lineman. But if you mention quarterback, the black quarterback will get overly criticized, overly scrutinized, and people, again, these are the same people that try to make you think Vince Young was the worst thing to happen to Tennessee when they were 31 and 17 when he had the football as a starter. But I digress. But I will say this, though. If the 49ers and the Dolphins made a trade for Kaepernick and, and uh, a straight-up trade for Cap and Tannehill, they probably be – both teams would win that trade because, again, Tannehill is, is better when he has a running game and he doesn't have to – throw the football a lot because he's afraid of pressure. And the best way you take the ball, the best way you help a guy that's afraid of pressure is you take the ball out of his hands. You saw that with Dallas last year with Tony Romo. They ran the ball a lot. Romo operated off play action. He was, he had his best season. I think Tannehill can have an even better season than what he did last year. If the Miami Dolphins decided, you know what, let's run the ball and not put him at risk 35, 40 times a game. Now on the flip side, I think Kaepernick can operate out this spread offense, especially when you look at the weapons that they have on the outside. You have guys that can get open. You know, you have a a, a short a short ball player, um, let's say in a Jarvis Landry. You have an intermediate guy in, let's say, a Devontae Parker. I'm sorry, um, intermediate guy in Greg Jennings. Or you could flip-flop Greg Jennings and Jarvis Landry. Let Landry be your intermediate guy. Let Jennings be your short guy. You have a deep guy. You know, your quintessential X receiver in Devontae Parker that can get intermediate to deep. You have a good tight end. You have an electric running back. You pair Lamar Miller with Colin Kaepernick and you run that zone read that the Dolphins like to run. Lamar Miller may get 15 to 1700 yards. It's the same theory behind Vic and Warwick Dunn. They were, they work well together. You know, it didn't work with Vic and, and TJ Duckett. It works though with Vic and Warwick Dunn because of the skills of the tailback. So I think they made the switch you see the best out of both guys. I think both both teams' personnel fit each other's quarterback, uh, which is interesting, but I digress. But that's my thoughts on the difference in people, how they critique you know, quarterbacks, which is why I always preach no bias foundation, no basis, no bias basis 
with your foundation and you'll be fine. You'll be able to see this nonsense that people are talking about with Kaepernick. And naturally, you're going to have the people, the well, actually people that's going to try to nuance every throw Kaepernick makes. Well, you see this throw here. He probably should have, uh, if he would have tilted his shoulders at a 68-degree angle instead of a 65, that pass wouldn't have hit the receiver in the throat. Instead, it would have hit him in a clavicle, which he could have made that catch. Tannehill could stand there, take a two-step drop, and stand in the middle of an oncoming blitzer, and people will still blame the offensive line. You saw it the other night. Matt Stafford made a check at the line of scrimmage. He audibled. He changed the offensive line protection. Guy came off the edge free. That's your man. You're responsible for that guy. That's not the offensive line's fault. You just changed the protection. If you change the protection, you're responsible for that free guy. You're letting everybody know, like, okay, slide protect to the right. I'm responsible for the end man on the line of scrimmage coming hard at me on the left. Instead, you look right and you get sacked and everybody says, oh, the offensive line didn't help him out. No. Fool. <laughs> You're responsible for that guy. So, huh, man, you guys get me heated with this quarterback. And you know what? It, it, it's just funny because you see the difference in the coverage. Kaepernick can't think. He can't read. He, he needs to probably play a receiver. You know, I know Kurt want to work with him, but uh, maybe he needs to, you know, I don't know if he soaked in the information. Maybe he didn't listen. People are hilarious, man. They need to stop with that bullshit and just call it what it is. Two guys that can play quarterback just had bad days, and that's it. But we never have bad days here on Direct Snap. So thank you guys for listening. You can find this archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and thank you again for listening to Direct Snap. Are you listening? Damn.